just want to, yeah, just acknowledge, thank you so much for signing up. We still need a few more, but it's, but it's just a really positive uh, response, which is great. Um, as a kids' work team, what we're focusing on uh, this term is, is, is we're encouraging our children to understand the gifts that God has given them, and some of those gifts are obviously the gift of, um, of prophecy and the gift of healing. And so we want to encourage our kids to hear from God, uh, we're not, unashamedly, because actually when, as adults, when we learn to hear from God, we need to become more like children, uh, and we find that they just intuitively, by faith, um, hear from God. And so what I, wanted to, uh, what I want to do now is actually just invite my beautiful daughter, Evelyn, up, who's just wonderful and amazing and courageous, and she's going sh- um, to share a story of something that happened to her at Kindy uh, this week. So why don't we welcome her up, because she's awesome. Yep. Hey. All right, Miss Evie. Okay. Should you say hello to everybody? Say hello. That's cool. I'm the backup if she gets a bit worried. But Evie, would you like to tell us what happened to Baby Hoggy at kindy this week? What did you do to Baby Hoggy? I buried Rally. You buried? Where did you bury her? In the sandpit. <laughs> now, after you buried Baby Hoggy in the sandpit, could you find her at the end of the day? No. <laughs> and who was helping you look after, look for Baby Hoggy? My friend Tiana. Your friend Tiana. And she had all the teachers digging up the sandpit the whole afternoon looking for baby Hoggy. So we went home on Monday with no baby Hoggy. And if you know Evie, baby Hoggy's very dear to her. So we came to kindy on the Tuesday morning. And what did we decide to do? Play to our school where Bailey was. So what I did was I got three toy cars and we prayed to God, and I said, Evie, we're going to pray, and you're going to place a car where you think God has put baby Hoggy. And we did this how many times, sweetheart? Three times. Three times. So she placed three cars, and we prayed three times, and we said, Holy Spirit, please show us where baby Hoggy is. And so after she placed the three cars, who, would, who did the digging? Mum. <laughs> Evie decided that she needed to play, so she went off and played, and I started digging. And so I started digging at the second car she placed, and we had um, the teachers around, and I said to the teachers, I'm going to ask Evie to pray to find where baby Hoggy was. And they were like, oh, I've got to come see this. This is like the lotto, like, woo. (laughs) And so after the first car, did I find baby Hoggy? No. No. So I went to the car that she placed the first time, and after I dug, what happened? (laughs) 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 So what had happened was where she placed that first car was exactly where, as soon as I put the spade in that sandpit, baby Hoggy was there exactly. And Evie was so excited because it was the first time... First time you heard God. First time I hear God. Speaking, she goes, wow, this is the first time I heard God in my heart. And it just was so amazing that 
Evie was able to pray and ask God for help, and straight away, he um, he just showed her where his very dear, her very dear um, baby Hoggy is. And what also is cool is the teachers were just so amazed at what had happened, and she was like, one of the teachers was like, "Wow, can you get Evie to pray for me to lose 15 kgs?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And um, and just like. All the teachers started sharing the story with all the other teachers and everyone was just really buzzing about what happened with Evie and Baby Hoggy. And so we just like thank God that he actually speaks to, to our children. And one thing that I learned from it was I got her to pray three times where God just showed her exactly the first time where Baby Hoggy was. So it's a cool challenge for us as adults to, to not be sceptical and just be like, yeah, if you want God to speak to you, he can. Is there anything else you want to say? Thank you. Thank you. Well done, honey. Yeah, we, we then had um, me and Becca play on a mixed indoor netball team. And, uh, and that the following week, one of the teachers who actually plays, uh, who actually works at the kindy as well, came up to me and talked to me all about it too. And she was still just gobsmacked that, uh, yeah. But it's just an encouragement we can all hear from God. And so that's the kind of thing we want to encourage our um, kids to do this term. So if you're a parent um, or you've got young kids around in your life, just encourage them and learn something from them about how we hear from God. Amen? Cool. All right, now I'm going to then put my other hat on and uh, carry on with our um, Philippians series. So we are in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 14, and I'm just going to dive straight into it. So um, here we go. Um, So this is our passage uh, here, which I'll read out quickly. Uh, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I just pray that you'd fill me with the Spirit this morning and give us a heart that's attentive to you, and would you call us to that upward call to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. All right, so I want to start in, um, in verse 8 with this phrase here, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, for Paul, knowing Christ was his singular passion and focus in his life. He said, if you were to sum up my life in one word, Christ. I I, I just want to know him. You see, Jesus had apprehended him, had laid hold of him, and now all he wanted to do, his goal in life, was to know him. And when we talk about knowing, we're not just talking about a head knowledge, but as one commentator puts it, to know him as a child and a parent know each other. 
to know each other as wives and husbands know each other. Knowledge that has to do with personal experience and intimate relationship. I would remind us this morning that it's this intimate relationship that we are called into as Christians. The Christian faith, long before it's ever a religion, long before it's ever an ethic, long before it's an interesting bunch of teaching to follow your life on, long before it's any of that, is a relationship. It's a relationship with a loving Savior. It's a relationship with a heavenly Father. And I'll begin by asking you this question this morning. Have you found yourself praying lately in that quiet place? I just want to know you more. If not, I would urge you to evaluate whatever else is occupying your energy as a Christian. Because for Paul, he says everything else is lost compared to this one goal, knowing Christ. Intimately, relationally, knowing him. So how do we grow in this? this knowledge of Christ, this intimate relationship with him. Do we pray more? Do we read our Bible more? Do we give more? Do we just do something more? Well, it is important for us to know that relationships take a bit of mahi, all right, a bit of work. That's why when me and Becca were on our pre-marital course, the wonderful Lonnie and Sarah encouraged us to take a date night so that we could work on our relationship, and we still do that. Today, we go on you know, weekly or fortnightly kind of date nights and we talk to each other and we ask each other how we're doing. We work on our relationship. But at the same time, it's important to understand that the foundation for these kinds of intimate relationships are actually based on unconditional love and the grace of God. Now, in our marriage vows, me and Becca didn't say that we would be committed to one another and love one another and stay with one another subject to X, Y, and Z, you know, like how well you uh, cook dinner or how um, spiky your beard does or doesn't get. It's like you know, we are committed to one another unconditionally. And that's kind of like our relationship, exactly like our relationship with our Father and with Christ. And that's why Paul goes on to talk about this righteousness, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Can I just say that the word righteousness is, can be such a religious word, can't it? But the, this word righteousness in its proper context is a relational term. It's more than about ethics or your moral track re record. It's, about, it's, a, it's a relational term. Why? Well, it's not, it's not your sort of track record in a, in a, in a vacuum. It is, your, it is your righteousness before a loving father, and it's how you relate to him. So you're, it's, it's about your standing before God. And you stand as a child of God, not as a forgiven but slightly tolerated orphan. Now you stand before him as a dearly loved child, as a beloved, in intimate union with Christ. And that is yours, not by your mahi, but by your faith. Just to illustrate this, the other day I get Evelyn out of the bath. That's my job with the kids as a, in, the, in the evening, so I'll get them bathed and get their jammies on. And I get Evelyn out of the bath, and I get a nice warm towel, and I wrap it around her and give her a big embrace. And uh, I look at her in the eye, and I say, Evie, do you, do you know why I'm so proud of you? And you can see a little mind ticking over, and she's thinking, well... You know, I listened today when you asked me to do this, and I tidied up this, and I put my shoes. I, I said, Evie, 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 I, I, I'm proud of you because you're my daughter. 
I'm proud of you because you're my daughter. And she goes, ah, <laughs> And she gives me a big hug. But it's like, that's the intimacy between a father and a daughter, and it's not dependent on what she does. Now, you can work within that grace and favor, but, but the basis of it is by grace. And Paul, he, he understood this, and he was captivated by it, and, and he was apprehended by this love. So his heart's response, like um, what well, our heart's response should be as well, is, well, I just want to know you more then. Who is this God that loves me so profoundly? I just want to know you more. It's an intimate look into, <laughs> into Paul, isn't it, into his relationship with Christ. And I find it very provoking and encouraging as well. I want to know Christ. So how, if you'll come back to that in a second. So how do we know Christ? And what does this look like in all the ups and downs of life? How do we remain steadfast? Because I mean, that's what Paul says in the very next chapter, remain steadfast in the Lord. How do we, how do we maintain this track of, of keeping our eyes fixed on Christ and our knowledge of him? Well, the reality is situations will arise which will tempt us to dim our passion to want to know Christ. Can anyone give me a little wave as being in Christ for any length of time? The situations arise which can dim our passion to want to know him, can't they? Now, it could be exactly like what the Philippians are going through, sufferings and hardship, and that was enough for them to want to try a different way. But it could be other things as well. I mean, in, in our day and age, in our you know, comfortable, Western, modern you know, country that we live in, it could be the material comforts of life. And they could dim our passion to want to know him more. It could be a relationship that, that you know, we know is not quite what Christ wants for us, uh, and that, that could be a distraction to want to passionately know Christ as well. There's so many different things. But nonetheless, the, Paul says, whatever it is, I want to know him, and this is what it looks like for me. This is how I remain steadfast in my passion to know him. And he takes it down a track that I wouldn't have quite picked, but he starts talking about the resurrection, and he starts talking about Christ's sufferings and death. This is, this is what it looks like for me. To know him, I want to know Christ. To know, and that for me means I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying here is that knowing Christ intimately requires an understanding of and are partaking in Christ's story of suffering, death, and resurrection means to be found in Christ. And this is important for us to remain steadfast in our passionate pursuit of knowing him. And just take note of the structure of the verses there. He kind of sandwiches sufferings and deaths, uh, which is B and B2, uh, with, with the A's. So I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And within that, he sandwiches suffering and death, which is very important we'll look at in a minute as well. But I want to start with the outer kind of outer um, verses there. To know Christ first means to know the power of his resurrection. So, resurrection. We don't talk about resurrection much apart from Easter, don't we? But for Paul, it was so important to his everyday life, walking out knowing Christ. Uh, 
But to unpack, to talk about resurrection, we need to go right back to the beginning of the story. We need to go right back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He mea hanga na te atua i te timatanga te rangi me God created the heavens and the earth. And he placed his image bearers in creation, mankind. But they turned their back on God, and as a result, creation was fractured. Sin and suffering entered into the world. And so there we have creation fractured. The world was under a curse. And this was not a good thing, obviously. But God called a man called Abraham, and through Abraham's family, God promised that although the world was under a curse, that he would bless all nations of the of the world through him. It was quite a high calling for Israel, actually, that God was going to put the world to rights through Abraham's family. But if you've read the story, you know, it didn't quite go to plan. It seemed like Israel had failed and become part of the problem. Can I just say, at this point, God didn't go to plan B and go, well, the Israel story didn't work, so I'm going to send my son. Not at all. Because God had this planned out from before creation began. God's solution to a broken and fractured world was beautiful and profound. He himself entered into the story. He himself became a man. And where Israel was unfaithful, Jesus, as one faithful Israelite, became sin and took on himself the brokenness and the sin and death. He took it on himself and he went to the cross with it. And he dealt with it at the cross. He died under the way. He took the punishment, the wrath of God for all of that sin and brokenness. He took it to the grave. And you know what? He left it there. Your brokenness, your sin, this fractured life, everything, he left it there in the grave. And then he raised to life. He raised to life. He was resurrected. Jesus' resurrection is now the beginning of a beautiful new reality. Not of this old story, but of new creation. And this was the long-awaited hope that God, this Jewish, very Jewish hope, that God would put the world to right. And so the power, when, when Paul starts talking about the power of Christ's resurrection, he's talking about this whole narrative of, of, of him becoming man and, and dealing with this problem of a broken world and renewing it and recreating it. So the power of his resurrection is the power of new creation. Now this begins in us as his image bearers, as his sons and daughters, we experience that power, don't we, of, 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 anyone, of anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But the grand story is that actually all of creation will one day be renewed and restored and walk in the glory and freedom that God's children share. That's why Romans 8 says, all creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of God's children. That, they might, that it may share in the same freedom and glory as God's children. So, 
That was like the scenic route, talking about resurrection. But coming back to knowing Christ, what that means is to know Christ is to know that story. It's to know the power that exploded out of the grave. I love this picture. It's like, it's just life exploding. When Jesus walked out of the grave, that resurrection day was like, was like, was, it's like new life. It's the story of new creation. And to know Christ and the power of his resurrection is to walk in that life. Now, there's a few implications uh, for this. First of all, because Jesus was raised to a mortal, physical, bodily life, it also secures our own future resurrection as well. This might shock some, but when the Bible talks about us being resurrected, it's not talking about us going to heaven when we die. It's not life after death. It's life after life after death. What Romans 8 calls the redemption of our bodies. We have a promise that, as Paul talks about in Corinthians as well, of an imperishable body being raised in glory and power. And it's, it's a future, it's a glorious future to look forward to. And if this is new to you, like, what's he kind of talking about? I'd recommend a book uh, by Tom Wright called Surprised by Hope, if that's something you want to, to look into a little bit more. So on the one hand, Jesus' resurrection guarantees ours and it's our future hope. But on the other hand, this is important for what we're looking at today, the power of Jesus' resurrection is at work in us now. It's a future reality, but it's also a present reality now. So Paul says, so as, sorry, as one commentator explains, Paul understands the life of the future to already be at work in the present. That's why Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. And that's why Paul prays in Ephesians 1, that they may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, that he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, Paul wanted them to know that God's power is at work in us right now, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It is, work, it is available for you to walk in now. And so to know Christ is to know the power of his resurrection at work in us now. Is this making sense? Is it really hot in here or is it just me? Sorry? Just me? All right. So keep the heaters on. You with me? All right. Is it hot in here or is it just me? So, to know Christ is to know the power of his resurrection. And this is our, this is our favorite part, right? But this power is also the power that empowers us to know Christ intimately by sharing in his sufferings and death. Paul, Paul's commentary on his ministry is quite interesting. He says that, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And listen to this, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In other words, we experience the life and power of Jesus, this resurrection power, by also walking in the death and suffering of Jesus. In other words, there is no resurrection without the cross. 
in a way, all of Christian life is a dying to self, isn't it? It, 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 it is... It is, it is a dying to self. It's, uh, actually, the, the Greek in this passage is, is like tipping its hat back to that beautiful poem in chapter 2 where Paul says, in your relationships, have the mindset of Christ. Lay your life down in the interests of others. Be willing to take up your cross and follow him. So in a way, all of Christian life is a dying to self. I mean, I just think about some of the things that God's you know, done in my life recently, and it hasn't been like a, you know, a trophy moment for me. It's been a, Matt, lay it down. It's been, it's been like, Matt, die <laughs> to that situation. It's, 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 it's eat humble pie. It's, it's don't react. You know, it's, it's take on this, this humble attitude uh, and, and walk in that. And in that, then you will find life. And uh, that is all of Christian life, isn't it? But also, Paul is also talking about very real suffering here too. Very real suffering. He knew what it was to suffer. And what Paul says is, even in that place, my suffering is transformed into intimate fellowship with Christ himself. To know Christ is to walk this way. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. In every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. I guess one way we find intimacy when we face sufferings with Christ is that we meet Jesus in a way we've never met him before. This Jesus who is full of grace, who is full of love, who is full of mercy. This Jesus who says, Come to me if you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There is intimacy in Christ in that place. I guess there is also intimacy as well, because when Jesus was facing the ultimate trial, as he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He, he laid his life down, but he was trusting the Father that by his spirit he would be raised to life again. And so there is an intimacy in that place of suffering and hardships that says, this is in your hands. That family member who is sick, I'm, just, I'm putting them in your hands. This illness that I'm going through, I'm, I'm giving it to you. And as you entrust God with what you are going through, you find an intimacy there, don't you? My daughter, loves, Lucy, loves to give gifts. Every time we leave the house, she entrusts me with something. She gives me a toy. She gives me a... A picture. She gives me a uh, how to train your dragon figurine or something like that. It's it's an entrustment. And in that moment, I know it's like it's like you're, she's she's like you're thinking of me even when I'm not with you. There's an intimacy there as she entrusts me with something near and dear to her. And so there is there is intimacy as we face these trials. But understanding it's within the context. It's always within, it's always. Um, <laughs> It's always in, uh, enveloped by his resurrection power walking out in our life. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 onwards, not that I have already obtained this or, have, or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What is this goal that he's talking about? What has he not obtained? Or That word perfect isn't like... Uh, sense of righteousness. It's, uh, the, 
the NIV has a better translation which talks about having arrived at my goal. In other words, I haven't obtained this and I haven't arrived there, but I'm pressing, I'm pressing on. What is he pressing on towards? Well, what we started off with, the, the goal of Paul's whole life was to know Christ. Was to know Christ. You see, the Philippians have a, had a decision to make and you and me have a decision to make every day. We have a decision to make. Will they pursue Christ? Will they seek after his face, knowing it's not the easiest road to travel? Knowing it means a life of discipleship, of picking up our cross, of denying our comfort, of living independent, sorry, of living dependent on his resurrection power? Will they go this way? Will they keep him center of everything that they are doing? Or will they opt out and go the safe route? Will they go the path easier traveled? For them, in their historical context, that meant going back to the Jewish laws, of finding a way to belong to God which didn't involve following Christ, didn't involve suffering and death. And Paul says, rubbish. It's all loss. I'm focused on Christ, whatever the cost. And I think sometimes we need to revisit the cost of following Christ. We need to revisit and in a... We need to revisit that actually Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. The sharp, hard words of Christ that says, unless you, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I mean, the sharpness of Christ that says, put me center of your focus and all that you do. We need to hear that sometimes. We need to be challenged by that. That's why the word, the word of God is living, it's sharp and active, it judges the minds and the attitudes of our heart. What are we holding near and dear? Is Christ the center of everything that we're doing? Or have we placed other things in that place? I'm embarrassed to say some of the things I've put before knowing Christ in my life. It's like, like not embarrassing, I'm ashamed, I'm not saying that, I'm just mean like, I'm sure me and Jesus are going to laugh about it. But there is this challenge, come and follow me. And it is a narrow road, not a broad road, to follow Christ. When Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It is the cost of following Christ. I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I remember uh, earlier on, um, uh, me and Becky were dating, and at the time she wasn't a Christian, and I was wrestling, do I follow Christ? Do I, you know, or do I not? And I wrestled and I wrestled. I talked to my family and I was like, you know, I, I just, I've got to follow Christ. And so I broke up with Becca. And uh, it was like this beautiful girl that I loved and my, you know, high school sweetheart. And I'm like, no, I've got to follow Christ. And then I had a prophetic dream after that and God said, don't worry, I'm going to sort it all out. I, I can't, I'm just trusting in you then. And she went to Dunedin, and she got saved, and she found Christian friends. And like, if you're going to get, it's like, hey, you want to get someone saved, should you send them to Dunedin? Mm. <laughs> well, it turns out, yeah, if it's God's plan. And he had it all taken care of. I mean, the cost of knowing Christ. It's a high cost sometimes, isn't it? I mean, I turned down letters to the all, uh, tickets to the All Blacks last night to prepare for this preach. I mean, the cost... <laughs> The cost of knowing Christ. You didn't, apparently I didn't miss much, eh? No. Jesus said the kingdom 
is like finding a treasure, a taonga in a field. And a man went away and sold everything else he had in order to buy that field, to pursue this one treasure. Paul is saying, for me, that one treasure is the pursuit of Christ, the pursuit of knowing him. It's like, what is, what is Christ asking you to lay down in order to pursue him? I just want to finish with an analogy, but can someone tell me the time first? Where, how am I doing? 12.03. All right, two minutes. I'll press on. Um, has anyone done this walk here, the, the Paikakariki escarpment trek to Pukerua Bay? I mean, there is a prize at the top, isn't there? I mean, this beautiful, magnificent view. It is wonderful. It is glorious. You've got the ocean, the rugged coast. You know, is it, you've got Kapiti Island. Or is Kapiti, not Mana, eh? Kapiti Island, yeah. It, it, <laughs> but I tell you what, it requires a certain focus and pursuit, and it's definitely an upward call in Christ. But when you get to the top, it's like, wow, that was all worth it, wasn't it? That pursuit of this one thing. I read a, I read a, um, a track uh, review, a guy who sort of goes around and does hikes and reviews the tracks, and he said, the, the view exceeded my expectations. It was stunning. And I get that feeling that in Christ, we have no idea what we're in for when we pursue him. The, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I don't think, in my mind, I've got a clue. It will exceed our expectations. He also said the walk is also thrilling. I often felt like we were walking on the edge of a precipice falling into the ocean. I wanted to email him, and that was like, that's because you are walking on the edge of a precipice falling into the ocean. I mean, it is a scary walk. I'm like going down these steps, and I'm like, Becca, do you go first? Do I go first? If I fall, are you going to catch me? Or should I just let you go tumbling down the hill? Like, like it's... it's <laughs> There, is, there are steps to climb. There, you know, there is a, it is, and sometimes in life we walk through these things and we're like, it feels like I'm going to fall off a cliff. But know that Christ has you firm in his hands. So what Paul is saying is, yeah, there's a bit of a, you know, those of us who love grace, this is almost like swearing, but it's like there is a, there is a striving, there is a focus, there is a pursuit of Christ. And it involves an upward climb sometimes, but, he, but, but the upward climb is, 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 is filled with resurrection power. It's filled with this, with this power of new life, new creation at work in us now. He will get us there. He will get us there. There was that, um, the line in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the song that I was just reminded of earlier, with, with nail-scarred nail hands... He draws me near. Something to that effect. With, with nail-scarred hands, he draws me near. In other words, whatever, whatever pursuing we do, whatever efforts we output, it's in response to what he has already done in us. And that's why Paul says uh, earlier, um, I'm laying hold of him, but hey, what? guess what? He's already laid hold of me. Everything that I am doing, all of this you know, striving, all of this effort, it is, it is in response to his love for me. You are responding to his great love for you. No matter how many stairs you've got to climb in this life, you will never have to go through the agony of hanging on a cross, taking the wrath of a holy father in order to find freedom and forgiveness and reconciliation. You will never have to go through. He went through that for us. 
So Christ's work was the prior one. Can we just stand? And I just want to, um, I know we've got to close. The kids are going to come in soon. But if you get anything out of this, I just like, I want to stir your heart, your passion to want to know Christ. To put him first. To even at times be ruthless with things that are, that are hindering you. Everything else is a loss compared to knowing him. Why don't we just open our hearts? If this is you, it's like if, if this is time for you to make a, a brand new or a renewed commitment to, to knowing him, to following him, then why don't you just put your hands out and pour your heart out to, to Christ, who is there ready and waiting to meet you. Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know your love for me. I want to fix my eyes on you. I want to walk in the the power, this great loving power that you exerted when you raised Christ from the dead. I want that to be my reality as I pursue you. And I want to say, yes, I'm pressing on to know you more. I haven't obtained it. There's so much I want it. So, so, so far, I still want to go. I know there's, there's steps to climb, but I'm pressing on for the upward call of knowing you. It's like, Jesus, one day I know that will be realized fully when I live in, in glorious, resurrected future, new heavens, new earth, face to face with you, no hindrances. But right now, Lord, fill me with your power. Fill me with your life that I might walk out this life and not choose the broad path, but the narrow path of knowing you, whatever the cost. Lord Jesus, show me the treasure of knowing you. Show me the surpassing worth. Give me a little glimpse. Just do business with him in his heart. Shuffle your priorities in your heart before him now. Come and move amongst this room in Jesus.